Hello and welcome to yet another edition of DMZ America, the podcast. It is Friday, April 15th, which used to be tax day, but it's not. It's a long story. Uh, 2022. This is episode 44. Can you believe it? Episode 44. I'm Scott Stannis. I'll be coming to you from the right. And Why did I have to think about that? I don't know. Well, well, you know that we could we could have a whole podcast about why you might have to think about that. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and I'm Ted Rawl coming to you from the left. And I just like to remind you, Scott, that for our Asian uh, listeners, we do recognize that 44 is not a fortuitous uh, episode, and uh, so we we recommend that you stay at home and watch for falling objects. You know, four is is highly unlikely in in for Chinese people. Well, uh, traditionally like- superstitious. Wow. Yeah, four means four is like, a, I believe my understanding, and I could be mistaken about this because I'm mistaken about many things, um, is that four is a homonym for death in Mandarin. And so like, for example, you don't tip four bucks or 40 bucks or 44 bucks or unless you really fucking hate someone. But like, you know, you just don't. Hmm. I have some people I can send a $4 bill to. Uh, yeah, I, would, I, I can think of a few people like that myself. <laughs> in a few newspapers, indeed. Um, actually, we should probably talk about that sometime, too. There's a, a, about bullying and about the great resignation. But we're, that's not what this podcast is going to be we about. We should. We should. But it really is interesting because I call it, by the way. Ted and I tend to call things years ahead of time, and we are poo-pooed, may I say? Or pooed upon. Yes. Well, either or. And um, the great resignation, I called it when it first started happening, that people had a year to realize they don't like being fucked around with. They don't like being treated like shit by employers. Yeah. Now, the only part that's mysterious, I mean, I guess we said we weren't going to talk about this. The part that's (laughs) mysterious is like, of course, there's nothing new about people hating their fucking jobs. But the point is people still, the same reason people worked before the great resignation still exists. They need money in order to pay for their bills. That hasn't changed as far as I, unless uh, I was sleeping so hard last night that I missed the abolition of capitalism. Um, (laughs) So like what, you know, so how are people who decided to quit their jobs? How are they making it? I mean, they go go and find other jobs. I mean, they really, it's not like the you know Fox News would make you believe that they just quit and then they go on welfare. That's not what they do. They usually find and interestingly they find work in the same field. They're, you know if they're if they're servers, if they're waiters or waitresses or whatever, they go but find the workforce has shrunk. There's there's fewer people. The the worker participation rate, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, can, has been shrinking for years. It's continuing to shrink. Well, and like I said, and I, what's interesting about this, and then I'm, we'll go on to our subject, because this actually does dovetail into what we're going to talk about for our first segment, which is the end of the American uh, century. Just a heads up, the uh, sub- segment two is sex in America, sex in schools, in American schools particularly. And the last one is how low can they go? How low can they go? How low <laughs> nice can teaser. Biden and the Democrats go? How stupid <laughs> can they be? Oh, I uh, thought this was going to be about the Lombada. The most dangerous dance. Macarena, the dance of love. <laughs> or what was that thing that you uh, would dance underneath the bar? The, uh, the Limbo. The, yeah, the limbo. Yep. I would always fall on my back. I, I was terrified. This is, I would never do that again. Okay, so for all of our listeners... <laughs> Don't invite me over if for you a limbo make a, party. If you want to make four extra bucks, challenge Ted <laughs> Rawl to a limbo contest. <laughs> See, it all ties together, doesn't it? It, it always does. It, it always does. Anyway, um, 
so the great resignation, I've been talking to people in the news, in the news business. Many of all, many of us are no longer working for newspapers. In fact, almost none of us. Yeah, just that's why busy. whenever you're interview, whenever you see any panel on cable TV, inevitably it's always like. And joining us today is the former editorial page editor of the Anchorage News, uh, the <laughs> former editor <laughs> of the Denver Post, the former the but here's, ex- what, but here's what happened. I mean, looking back on a forty-year, forty-plus-year career in newspapers on staff, which I, I know Ted. Ted was outside looking in and still was a lot more successful than 99% of us who were in it. But for those of us who were on staff and dealing with the abuse and the bullying, and it was like, you know, what's his name? Uh, Jameson, the editor from Spider-Man, you know, the the, the James Jameson, Jameson, the verbally abusive. That was the model. That's, and I grew up 40 years of that bullshit. And oh, this total I, assholes, these yeah, assholes. Because they yeah. could be. And in fact, in the newspaper business, they were expected to be. And I'm still seeing at newspapers of people who I really loathed, who I did not respect, who were bad managers, bad people, really, um, being elevated and being promoted to positions of power. And so people, it's been really interesting to talk to newspaper people about this. What's happened in the newspaper business over the last few years, uh, over the last decade, has been the diminishment of that product, the diminishment of media and the news. It led me to an, an Henri, if I may. An Henri is, it, well, it's not an, an Henri, it's just Henri or a real a feeling of Henri. Henri yes. is, you can't have an Henri. Henri's are, are not quantifiable. There's not like one Henri, two Henri's, you know, it's just not like that. Duh. Henri is always with us. Henri is is omnipresent. It's like, it's as if God, it's instead like God doesn't exist, but Henri does. And it's it's omniscient. Ted is wearing wearing a turtle in a striped shirt and smoking a cigarette now and looking disdainful. (laughs) That's right. But I'm an old fashioned guy and I don't believe in wearing headgear indoors. Yeah, isn't that weird? I'm sorry. I, mean, I don't really know why that was. A, it's it, you know what? What's so funny is I'm not so old that like I remember like really people ever wearing hats really in public, except very old guys. Like when I was a kid, there'd be like old guys with like a, you know, like the fedora and yeah, like the, sure. red, the red feather. Um, but like you know, those guys would never wear their hat indoors. And like today, it really bugs me when I see like guys wearing baseball caps like inside. I'm like, and then I'm so I'm I'm always interrogating myself. Like, first of all why do I give a shit? Who cares? And then like, uh, and you know, who knows, they might have some hor- horrible boil on their head they're trying to cover. But on the <laughs> other hand, it does bug me. I'm like, it's impolite. It's like, it's just, it's just like, it's, I don't know, it's not impolite, because it's, in, it's not in, inherent to anything. It doesn't hurt anyone. It doesn't affect anyone. So I'm kind of stupid in this way, probably in oh, many I- ways, but in this I- way. I am exactly the same way. It's just like, because I, we had parents, we had mothers and fathers who berated us and told us, take your, take your ad off yeah. <laughs> inside, you know, it was just, and that was, and that's what manners are. And that's just, you know, they're, 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 some know. of them are arbitrary. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, and I, frankly, I think here's the, here's another thing is the designated hitter rule. And that's, <laughs> that dovetails very well into our subject, Excellent. which is the, is this the end of the American century? 
and mm. been thinking about this a lot. I now use I media. Sing, I really, I wish we had bumper music. We have to start doing bumper music because I would now play the Ramones. It's the end, the end of the century. It's the end, the end of the seventies. Anyway, go ahead. It always comes down to two things for you, doesn't it? The Ramones and flamethrower drones. Not in that order. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the flamethrower drone has been. Uh, we haven't mentioned the flamethrower drones lately. Well, but that, that's a, that's <laughs> lately a, we do that it every goddamn bond. No, no, we missed it the last one or two. Um, I think we were <laughs> we were out of the zone. We decided to, you know, I don't know. In but is this the end of the American century? And by that, it, I mean, what do they mean by the American century? Well, the globalization of our politics, the globalization of our policies, the expansion of our powers, both economic and militarily, and it just. I mean, I, I don't know, is this, uh, it seems like this is almost a moot point. It's almost inarguable that this is this, it's the end of the world as we know it. I mean, really. And I, look, I, I think the problem is that um, Americans are viewing this as a bad thing. Um, look, I think, you know, we, people, our generation, and, uh, you know, the pe most people listening to this feel a sense of decline and it's bugging them because, you know, after World War II, the U.S. economy was expanding radically. There was just generally a sense for decades that uh, every dec every generation was going to do better than the one before them. Uh, there was, from a left-wing perspective, social progress seemed to be moving afoot. I mean, was. I mean, there was a lot of there's been a lot of uh, major improvements in the living standards of uh, you know women, blacks, gays, uh, trans people, and so on, and, and those are all good things. But like I think you know you could try to you know point to a specific place. I think Rep Democrats would probably point to Reagan as like the beginning of the end. Republicans might point to Carter or to Clinton. But the point is that somewhere in the from the late seventies to the nineties. There's this thing sort of turned, and uh, and 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 there's we lost that optimism, and we lost that sense that you know we could sort of win any war we decided to fight. We could uh, we could solve any problem that we uh, were confronted with. We could meet any challenge. Uh, you know, now I, I was thinking about the subway shooting here in New York uh, earlier this week when uh, some fucking madman shot five people and injured a couple dozen. And they said that the NYPD was uh, impeded in their investigation because none of the security cameras at the 36th Street Sunset Park Station in Brooklyn were functioning, none of them. And, um, and then, you know, I, it occurred to me, they don't say this, this guy, it happened on the train, which means that he boarded the train at another station, which means there were no cameras in that station either. Um, so well, there were cameras. Well, they weren't working. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So they it's needed like, batteries. What isn't that true? One of them needed like, yeah, literally they maybe need, I don't even know why they need batteries. Why don't they have their own power source? Yeah. But, but anyway, the thing is it's, you know, whatever, it's kind of like the, you know, the cameras that uh, conveniently went out outside Jeffrey Epstein's uh, prison cell. Um, you know, it's kind of like, uh, it's just like, this this is a, a society in decline. I mean, you know, you can get you and I can like order a fucking camera for our front door to make sure that no one's stealing our Amazon packages. But, you know, the the government, the MTA can't have working cameras in a in the largest subway system in the country. I mean, you know, with over 400 stations. I mean, this is a it's, a, it's outrageous. And it's just it's always these things. I think 
you know, we're psychologically, we just feel very, um, you know, like things are not getting better, they're getting worse. Um, and I think that the, uh, quantifiably now you can look at, do people feel optimistic? Um, they yeah. don't. The do, polls uh, show that, like, is the country heading in the right direction is the classic question. And, and I think, well, the answer is no. It is no, but the other, the other, I think, indicator, and it's a strong indicator, Ted, tell me if I'm wrong, is that the birth rate in this country is abysmal now. It is plummeting. And yeah, because it's true. The willingness, to, the willingness and ability to reproduce and the feeling that you have the money and the resources to care for a child um, are uh, a seriously a major sign of optimism or, uh, in, in a society, or, right. you know, and the lack thereof is, it signifies pessimism. And our birth rate is significantly lower than it's ever been, which abodes- I mean, when, Ru- when Russia collapsed after the, when the Soviet Union collapsed, the birth rate in Russia plummeted in the 90s. Um, it, took, it, it took a while to come back. Um, you know, I, part of it is selfishness. People just kind of like, whatever, I don't want to do this. It's work. But I think, but I think, you know, human beings are fundamentally, as you always say, human beings are fundamentally always the same. And uh, I, that is true. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, we're, we're, we're just not optimistic. But I, what I was trying to get at, though, is I think, I think Americans have a bad attitude about this. I mean, I think if we were to pull inward, if we were to st- be more isolationist, stop being as feeling like we need to be involved in regime change overseas. If we, if we stopped spending 54% of our federal tax dollars on defense uh, and debt service on old wars, if we were just to start focusing on American priorities instead of sending money to places like Ukraine, um, we would, uh, you know, we'd be in a much better place. I mean, we have, we should uh, mind our own business. We have homeless people to house. We have sick people to treat. We have uneducated people to send to school. Um, you know, we have old people who need companionship. Uh, we have streets that need to be cleaned up and made. We have subways that clearly need to be made safer. Um, we have guns that need to be reined in. Uh, we have a lot of things to do in this country, and we're not doing them. And uh, we could. But we're just we're scattered. We're we're all over the world. We have hundreds of military bases are all over the, around the planet. But we're not taking care of our business right here at home. And that's fundamentally my number one objection to U.S. involvement in Ukraine is that it's uh, it is not our business. And if we want to go clean up foreign policy messes, we can clean up our own, like in Afghanistan. But like, uh, let's focus on ourselves first. Well, you bring up an excellent point, too, in budgeting, um, the, the uh, Biden budget, uh, you know, the, the defense budget particularly goes is going up when we actually pull, have just pulled all of our military out of Afghanistan. There out should of be a, a major peace, war. Remember peace dividends? Remember those kids? Well, we're not getting one this time, apparently, because we pull out, we pull out of Afghanistan. We are, our, our involvement in Iraq is significantly ratcheted back. We should be saving money. And like Ted said, put those, put the, put those dollars towards uh, domestic uses here. I'm thinking of the Netherlands. The ne- I, I know, because I know it's always the Dutch with me. It's the damn Dutch. <laughs> those clomping wearing crazy propeller building building bastards anyway selling (laughs) but but the netherlands holland ran the world for almost a century they have Mm -hmm. economically they were a massive economic power massive and then they weren't they got competition um 
they were being assaulted by Spain, by by uh, by England, yeah. and by France, and they pulled back and they pulled back, and then they they did exactly what Ted is suggesting. They spent their money on themselves, and Holland became one of the most livable places to be in in Europe, and remains that way today. When France um, lost much of its empire. Um, you know, not by any choice of its own. It was kicked out of places like Algeria. Um, it also, uh, it, you know, the standard of living, la belle, la douce vie in France really improved. The, so, the social contract as we know it in the, you know, France after World War II was a dump. It took years for them to recover. But by the 80s, you know, colonialism was pretty much in the rearview mirror and they had more, they had more money. So what's going to take the place of the American century, which did have some positive elements? I'm sure Ted and I may disagree on this, but I do believe the expansion of Democrat and Democratic institutions um, was an important aspect of the American century. And that's- Well, we would have a whole fight about that. I mean, come on, the U.S. was- over what, what when was that was that when the u.s the cia was uh, overthrowing the democratically elected president of iran in 1953 or was it when we were overthrowing democratically elected uh, socialist leaders in latin america like salvador allende or was it when we were uh, you know you get the picture um i we, get the picture we, we spent do... much of the war propping up dictatorships I mean, well but war. they were they're friendly dictatorships ted <laughs> but they weren't democracies. <laughs> they were just democracy. saying. But democracy was on the march. And I think it was inarguable, especially in the uh, 80s, 90s, that it, it seemed to be that that was on the march. Now, um, we the number of democratic countries has declined and the number of people living under democratic governments has declined from five. Um, what was it? Uh, five. Oh, God, I forget what the ratio was, but it has cut almost by 50 by almost in half the number of people living under democratic regimes. Now you have regimes like Hungary, you have regimes like Turkey, you mm-hmm. have more egregious ones like Russia, like China. Um, yeah, I think we're entering and we're entering it is complicated and I'm trying but you know, our job is to simplify things. That's what cartoonists do. True, true, true. <laughs> Uh, it's what we're, you know, I mean, I think Turkey is a democracy. I, it's not an authoritarian state. It's pretty damn close, Ted. It really is. They, they, they have a very down. vibrant opposition. They have an, a vibrant uh, opposition media. I mean, mm. Turkey's complicated. Okay. Well, everything's complicated. To you. Yeah. It's not that complicated. It's all black and white. It's all black and white. Okay. Okay. All right. No, no. I have never, ever. And we'll never, ever call you that because you are not. Um, <laughs> Thank you. The thing that drives me crazy is you're smarter than me, which. Nah, that's not true. Admittedly a low bar, but anyway. So, but what's, what's, what's next is the Chinese is, is definitely going to be the Chinese century, if not even longer, because the Chinese are doing, first of all, they're smarter. Um, they're planning. They plan things. You know, Americans are like, you know, we're looking at, I mean, you bring up a great example. We, we look at um, Ukraine and we're like, oh, that's not over yet. Right, exactly. It's well, we're already over, getting over, bored. We're already getting over bored. A month. It's been well, over yeah, a month. Well, Scott, you were asking, like, where do we go? I mean, look, it's clear where we're going. I mean, after uh, 
after 1991, we moved into a unipolar world, right? What that means is the United States was the only remaining superpower. Um, now we're going into a uh, multipolar world, which look, feels more like the Cold War. Um, currently, there's, uh, I'm not, I wouldn't say it rises quite to the level of an alliance, but there is sort of an entente and an understanding now that sort of may become a full-fledged alliance between Russia, China, and India. Um, you know, that's half the world's population right there. So, uh, and there's also regional, the, you know, the potentiality of regional superpowers like Brazil uh, controlling Latin America or dominating Latin America would be more accurate, or Iran, which is the natural, really the natural powerhouse in the Middle East, um, and countries like that, um, you know, the, I think we're just going to see that there's not just one big, you know, like the United States has an amazing role in the world. It's like literally, for example, um, you know, we get to decide what countries are countries. Like if we were to say Taiwan is independent, we recognize Taiwan as an independent state, that we would get them, that would get them a seat at the United Nations just because of us. Like, you know, Russia can't do that. China can't do that. India can't do that. Brazil can't do that. Like, it's just us. Why us? Who, who put us in charge? But we are. And that's, that is, I think that is starting to change. Very interestingly, Marine Le Pen, the right-wing candidate for president in France, um, just yesterday or the day before, proposed that India and an African country be added, presumably Kenya, would be added to the permanent, uh, get a permanent seats on the Security Council. Um, and, you know, that's interesting. I mean, it's, by the way, not a terrible idea. I mean, no, it really isn't. India? Why not India? Well, in Kenya, I mean, I mean yes. I mean, gee, it's, the, it's a large continent there in Africa and it has a lot of countries on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not to, I mean, yeah, the entire continent shouldn't be, shouldn't, should, should not be represented. Of course it should be. Let me jump in. And I, I know this is a weird segue and I probably should have prefaced it, but I do want to ask you because you're a French citizen and you vote. Yes. That, that, that's a terrifying bumper sticker on your car. I'm French and I vote. <laughs> et je, et je. I don't even know how you would say vote in French. That's really bad. Okay, okay anyway. so we have a runoff now between uh, uh, current president Macron, uh, who's going to run against uh, yet again a Le Pen. I mean, that's the Le Pen family seems to be the toe fungus <laughs> of France. There's no getting rid of <laughs> they them. They will not go away. They will not. But but in the polls, I mean, he won what? I want to get I want to get these numbers correct. But it was some Ted. It was somewhere in the neighborhood of he got 26, 27 percent of the vote. She got 21 uh percent -huh. of the vote. That is. I think she got 24. No, I think it's like here. I'm going to look it up right now. I think it's basically, and and I do want to talk about Jean-Luc Mélenchon also, um, because oh those do we um, have to. Yeah, we do because he's actually the Bernie Sanders of France, actually, except being far left. Okay, so the results are Macron, twenty-seven point eight, Le Pen, twenty-three point one. Okay, wow. Mélenchon, twenty-two. Yeah, I mean, think about this, folks. If it's a three-way race, really. Well, he's out, but I mean, it's, he's it's, out, but it was, but around. it really was. I mean, they split the vote in thirds, roughly. So what happens in the uh, runoff? Uh, well, so what happens in the, in the runoff is that uh, Marine Le Pen needs to get Mélenchon's uh, supporters in order to close the gap. Um, and that's that's a tough, tough sell because. Okay, so what's going on here is, first of all, the traditional center right and the traditional center left 
have been completely gutted by Macronism. Um, there is no socialist party to speak of. I want to look at the results here for the that was the, the party, yeah, and Hidalgo of the Parti Socialiste placed placed five, six, seven, eight, nine, tenth in a twelve-way race with a whopping one point seven percent of the vote. The French Communist Party, which used to have a substantial presence, is two point three percent of the vote. So, now, just um, to jump in, just to, as a as a pointer, the nineteen seventies, eighties rather, um, Francois Mitterrand, who was the socialist candidate, won the presidency of France twice. Twice. And scared the shit out of America because we didn't understand. Yeah, the Parti Socialiste of France was basically like the Democratic Party here. I mean, they were the main the main left leaning party, um, and they've been completely destroyed. So anyway, uh, what, <clears throat> what you have is Macron, who originally presented himself as the candidate of neither the left nor the right, but in reality has ended up governing as center right. Uh, versus Le Pen, who is far right. Mélenchon's his supporters are out in the cold. And don't forget, it, it's France. Uh, in France, there's always at least a quarter of the population who are Marxist. So um, there's a lot of uh, people there who are out in the cold. If Le Pen, I mean, first, I'd say Macron cannot get them. He can get some people who are afraid of Le Pen and who just will, you know, do the solidarity thing. But so many of them are so pissed off at Macron that they'll just abstain. They just won't vote. So it's Le Pen's to it's Le Pen's to win, really. If she can get like, you know, 10% of those people to show up for her, uh, if she can, and she and she's she's working on that. Like the thing I just mentioned about trying to add uh, you know, some developing world, developing nations to the Security Council, those are all things that are, um, they represent a softening of her nativist, traditionally nativist positions. Um, you know, she's saying things like, well, we have to be realistic. We have to uh, incorporate other people into our society. That's all new for her. Um, the French, unlike the Americans, have long memories. Um, I suspect you're going to see a lot of abstentions. And what you're also not going to see is a lot of Frenchmen just say, okay, I want to send a message like, you know, like former Bernie supporters voted for Trump in many cases because they just wanted to send a message. You won't get that there. You know, if you're left wing, you're left wing for life. If you're right wing, you're right wing for life. That's ideology matters there more than personality. I think it's still Macron's to Macron's to lose, but he could lose. He really could. Well, let me ask you this. You are a French citizen, if I may be so bold. <clears throat> Pardon me. How can you vote? And I said, but you do vote in the French elections. Mm -hmm. how, how are you voting? I voted for me. Well, I voted for Mélenchon uh, in the in the first round. Uh, I will abstain in the second round. Really? Uh, I can't vote for Macron. He's a turd. And I'm not certainly not going to vote for Le Pen. Um, she's uh, I mean, they're both ideologically um, foreign to me. I mean, they're both basically Le Pen is basically, you know, Charlottesville uh, with tiki torches. And Macron is basically John McCain. Fuck him. No, I'm not voting. Wow. Will you vote down ticket? I mean, well, you can't. Oh, you mean down ticket? Oh, uh, there is no, uh, there, the, the, there are no down ticket races on this. On this oh, it's strictly this. for the presidency. That's it. Uh -huh. Wow. Okay. Well, so it's neither the American nor the French century coming up. <laughs> no, it's probably not. The French century is 
Uh, well, there never was a, well, I don't know, the French century might have been the 18th century, perhaps, when uh, yeah. not only did they have a revolution, but they caused one here. Um, they supported so. it, and then they had one, and then they didn't do it quite as well as we did over there. True. It didn't, it didn't take. Yeah. It didn't stick. <laughs> it didn't stick. Yeah. Okay, on that note, we're going to uh, take a, a short break, and then coming up next, sex. We're talking about sex, sex in schools. We should need to teach now, those kids about sex as we early should do as bumper music. As... we would do berlin sex i'm a, I'm a i can't even i don't even I know, know this is more singing by I'm ted law and scott stannis than you ever podcast ever file your taxes do your taxes you have three days yeah they gave you three days i i, I don't know why they gave you three days that's crazy so you have the weekend because it fell on a friday so and they're like and they're like you know people are procrastinators uh you know they, they, they need a few extra days yeah, fuck the spring, the beautiful spring weather. Just, uh, you know. Just chill and enjoy. Stay in that. and do your taxes. Enjoy. Yeah, have a good weekend and do your taxes. That's all I want to spend Ted Roll coming to you from the left. We're going to talk about sex, dirty, rotten, seething, sweaty <laughs> sex. Not we much. better not be, because I know what the topic is, and it better not be. It's not. We're talking about sex in schools and that, you know, the don't say gay um, legislation, which is, seems to be sweeping across blue states right now. Red states. Um, and I, I yeah, Ted, Red states, I, red states, red states. I, you know, I got every goddamn that. time. I know, because I think of red. As communist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's. I think this just all goes back to the way CNN or someone like just re coded the, the state and then, then it stuck. It doesn't really make sense. No, and well, anyway, I apologize. Yes, the red states now are passing laws. That don't, the, the legislation is being called don't say gay, which is not really entirely accurate. Um, they're saying don't teach explicit sexual content to third graders, which in my mind is okay as a parent. Okay, uh, it's kindergarten, first, second, and third, right? Yeah, yeah. So that specifically, the legis these laws are, is there more than one? I thought there was only one. No, a couple of states. I know that Alabama's, uh, uh, Texas, um, I want to say Florida. Are you sure this isn't, by the way, just sort of solving a problem that doesn't exist like so much legislation does? I mean, how many second graders are really saying like, you know, uh, you can, you know, you can change your gender. I mean, really? Uh, you know, it's like they're, do they're doing addition and like there maybe is, cursive. And I mean, it, it's not in the way that many, you know, fumbling pundits on the right say it is, but there is a movement to sexualize our culture it always has been for the last few number of years and it and what how it manifests itself uh there was a there was a, a story out of madison wisconsin where a, a a gay activist group was asked to come in and talk about sex i don't know well that was interesting we were talking and then all of a sudden we weren't uh we got cut off and the goddamn ad from goddamn zoom popped up on my stupid friggin' computer so anyway well, that's, you know, I keep telling you to overthrow capitalism, but you just don't want to. Um, <laughs> yes, if the state ran Zoom, life would be so much better. <laughs> <laughs>
fair point. <laughs> so don't say gay, 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 gay. I was about to talk about a story that came out of Madison, Wisconsin about, oh my gosh, it had to have been 30 years ago. For some reason, a gay or a gay activist group in the city was asked to talk about sex to sixth graders, where they to, to, where they reviled them with stories of con not just condoms, but also dental dams. For those of you unfamiliar, as I was with what a dental dam is, first of all, a thing that nobody ever, 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 never, ever, ever, ever used. Ever. Ever was a thing that's uh, it's a, effectively a condom for a female genitalia. And so you can, uh, it's just bizarre. And so I can, and the families there were of course outraged and as well they should have been because they weren't told that this was going to be taught. Um, I guess where I come down and I sound like a, like a troglodyte, I suppose, is that, um, you know, I think that that kind of conversation is you have to have it at some point in the school so that the kids get a clear and, and scientific and frankly, truthful view of what sex is and is not. Um, they may not get from their parents for any number of reasons. Their right. parents may be ignorant. Their parents uh, may be, um, you know, re religious fanatics. They may be repressed whatever so when do you teach or they sex? may just not feel comfortable speaking to their children so we were talking before we started recording um about when we learn about sex and so on ted what it's eight eight years old roughly is when yeah eight years old according to studies is the average age of when a boy first sees pornography how about a girl i don't have the answer to that okay so eight years old and that sounds about right i mean ted and i come from a generation where it was playboy or penthouse sure that's exactly right. I remember vividly uh, some kid brought uh, some of his father's uh, either penthouses or playboys to the playground at George L. Ernst Elementary School in Kettering, Ohio. And uh, we were by the merry go little tiny merry-go-round, squeaky, no WD-40 back then. Uh, and, uh, and No and lube. We were, and we were all like, what? Like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I just think about kids today, uh, children today, as they in the internet, and just how easy it is to find really hardcore stuff, and how I would have processed that information at eight. That would have been difficult for me. Uh, I'll be honest. I mean, just seeing, you know. But the point is that relative to these laws, I mean, it is. Look, I, I think it's solving a problem that doesn't exist. I mean, come on, like culture. No, no. How many first and second graders in any school district, even the most left-leaning, like Berkeley Elementary School, are they are are teaching you know sex and sexual identity to their to their students? I mean, none. And then like in the South, who the fuck is who would dare? I mean, it's just like I think what this is is a traditional like. Uh, you know, foot in the door, slippery slope thing, where it's like, well, if we can get, if we can ban teaching of the, everyone can agree, everyone can agree that like, you know, seven-year-olds cannot understand issues of sexual identity in any kind of meaningful way. Um, so we get that law passed. And then it's like, hey, well, now that we've got that law passed, you know, fourth grade's pretty young too. And, you know, now that we have that passed, fifth grade and so on and so on. And pretty soon you're banning it from school entirely. Well, they've tried to have no sex education. And I think that's 
ridiculous for the reasons we mentioned earlier. The more, and you're right about, I mean, people always laugh about slippery slope. Oh, oh, oh. Well, there is such a thing. And so you have this don't say gay thing. Now what they're trying to push is they don't say offensive words or don't, don't offend anybody. And that by that, that means don't, and it's, and what's weird is this is being pushed by right wing. Right. Well, uh, there's a lot of politicians yeah, when it comes to censorship, Censorship is truly bipartisan. <laughs> it's something that everyone is behind as long as it's the other side being censored. So don't say gay up to third grade. Okay, you can kind of, you can see the rationale behind that. They don't offend the, the right-wing snowflakes. I'm sorry, that's, that's chilling because what does that mean? I mean, first of all, it can't stand. I mean, even in this Supreme Court, the free speech. I mean, just that you just can't do it. First of all, it's impossible to, to who determines what is and not offensive to whom. Um, but getting back to, I mean, so when do you teach sex and how much do you teach sex? I mean, the, we saw a sex. Well, education. there are two different things, right? There's sex education and then there's gender identity. Those two things are teased out separately in these legislative proposals. But could you, I mean, should they talk about, um, you know, gender. And, and Ironically, I think gender identity is probably the easier thing to talk about at a younger age than sex itself, if that makes sense. You know well, what makes I mean? Perfect like, sense because you can put it in a context of you know, the, the, the Ted is a boy, but he thinks he's a girl, or he right, he, or, or he, he feels yeah. he's a girl. You could, you could well, any also these. a lot of parents. You know, like the fact is the odds are if you have a school with say a hundred kids, there's probably at least one set of gay parents in that school. So even in the South. So it's like, uh, it seems to me like you can, you can make those, you can, you can talk about that and, you know, without it becoming lascivious or have it be uh, inappropriate or, or troublesome for these kids. Um, you know, I think when you're talking about like how young is too young to talk about, you know, STDs or, I mean, we had sex ed and, you know, I'm 58 years old and I was in, a, I, I went to a very conservative right-wing uh, school system in a right-wing city, but um, it was, I, we had sex ed from my uh, sex ed teacher and I kid you not, Mrs. Seaman was her name. No, it wasn't. It, it was. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it was. Uh, and uh, yeah, but she was my sex ed teacher, and I'll never forget. She taught me stuff that was really interesting. Like I was like, you know, like you can give, you know, if uh, you you know if someone if you have cold sores from you know like which kids get right kids get them when they're like really they little. Can. Yeah. And uh, if you have a cold sore, and then you go down on someone. You, you know, your herpes one can mutate into their herpes two, and they have an STI without, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's just like that. That's really fucking weird, but true. Um, and I remember she taught that and I was like, whoa, this is an interesting subject. Um, I didn't think that seventh grade was too, was too early. Uh, I was, we were, you know, seventh graders are 12. Um, I think you could easily go back to 10 and teach well i would say maybe the porn thing is is the right time you know it's like if they're seeing porn then maybe they need to be able to contextualize what they're seeing yeah i don't I, that was always um 
for me, I mean, you have a son, uh, I have two. And um, for me, um, my, um, my oldest, a friend of his was flying in from Grand Rapids to, and his, his friend's parent uh, worked for an AIDS outreach. And this kid had significant knowledge of, of sex and talked about it uh, at times and inappropriately because he was, you know, nine. Uh, but that's the time I took, I had had the talk with the boys. And you're right. That's about the time when you sit down. I mean, 12 seems a little old, actually. You should have probably a cursory kind of like, here's the general outline of how sex works. And um, so, yeah, so seventh graders, 12 years old, just saying, okay, here's, how, here's, here's the whole biology of it. Here's how it works. And what they also, but what they don't talk about is also the psychological aspect of sex. The, you know, the, the, the fact I'd that go you, sooner though, I'd, I'd say nine, nine or 10. Yeah, that's about the right, because that's puberty. That's, they're going to be having those kinds, there's going to be hormonal changes. There's, um, is it the school's function and how far should it go? I mean, that's, that's really what this, this debate or this. Well, it's definitely the school's function. I mean, you know, like the fact is sex edge is a very, <clears throat> it, 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 it provides a really important service. I mean, you know, there was a, uh, my mother was a high school teacher and there was a girl in her school who um, had uh, Christian fundamentalist parents. She got pregnant. Um, she was so scared of talking to her uh, parents that uh, she delivered at home when they were not home and put the uh, newly delivered, the newborn baby into the garbage and killed it. Um, and uh, she was you know, sent off to... Uh, being that it was Ohio, she was sent off to the state penitentiary, tried as an adult for murder, sentenced to 20 years in prison. Uh, she ultimately was released earlier than that, but not before her life was destroyed. And I can't keep, I, I think of examples like that. If she'd had good sex ed, she might not have gotten pregnant in the first place. Uh, she, she might have felt that there was someone at school that she could talk to. She might have found out about uh, her options vis-a-vis -vis abortion or adoption. She, you know, she didn't really understand what was happening to her. And I mean, you know, that's what sex ed is for. It's like, it's to teach you things like, oh my God, you have a bump on your dick. That's really sucks. Here's what it might be. Here's what you do about it. And don't worry, you're not going to die. Uh, you know, like, oh my God, you're pregnant. Oh fuck, that sucks but there's shit you can do about it. And, 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 you know, it's not the, again, you're not going to die. Your life is not over. Um, you know, kids don't know. They just don't know. And I think a lot of adults forget what childhood is like, and it's a lot of not knowing. Um, I, I think, you know, it's like, look, if you're, if you're seeing people fuck on YouTube or whatever on Xtube or whatever, then you should be able, then you need to know what you're seeing, like what happens like, what, how are they doing it? What are the consequences, potentially, et cetera? Okay, well, I can see that. And I think that's reasonable. And you also have um, what I think is a reasonable compromise is that parents who don't want their kids exposed to that can opt out. Yeah, and I have an option for those parents. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's that up in the sky? <laughs> it's, it's a bird. It's, it's a flame. A I don't mighty. Okay, we're going to be cut, cutting this uh, off, and hopefully we won't be, you know, edited by Zoom. I did, 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 
Elon Musk by Zoom, and now he's just like editing what we can Flying, talk yeah, about. yeah, I just did a cartoon rough about like Elon Musk buying Twitter. It's like, oh, maybe he'll do for Twitter what he did to uh, did for self-driving cars. And it's like, what? Drive it into a wall? Um. Oh, I love the idea of self-driving cars. Listen, I'm getting, I'm, I'm in my 60s now. I love the idea of a self-driving car. I'm sorry. I like it's, the idea. I just don't like the driving into the wall part. No, but you know... You know, we that we're getting old and we're becoming a burden to society. I think that's how you take, you know. Huh? Yeah. Well, um, okay. <laughs> There's always the flame, the flamethrower drone can be used for suicide too. You know. Well, it can be used to to <laughs> to call the herd, as it were. It might make you know the thing. The way I look at it is that the more the more I use a, a flamethrower drone, the more I'm going to feel like remaining alive. If you know what I mean. It just makes you feel alive. That's what you're still alive. That's right. Almighty. Okay, coming up next, how low can they go? We're going to discuss the Democrats and Joe Biden in the recent poll. Am I saying this right? Quinnipiac? Quinnipiac. Quinnipiac poll that came out that is shocking. We'll be back. DMZ America podcast is back and better than ever. I'm Scott Stannis coming to you from the right. Ted Rawl, I'm here coming to you from the great American left. <laughs> Such as it is. <laughs> <laughs> so how low can they go? Democrats and the and Biden administration, Joe Biden. And I, I really have to admit, this is a shocking poll. I want to say Quinnipiac uh, poll yeah. just recently came out oh, and well Joe Biden's approval rating was at I'm not making this up. 33%. Right. Which is about the same as your local cable TV provider and lawyers. And canker sores. Yes. Well, uh, however, herpes sores are, are raked slightly higher. So Yes. So they're looking to make some gains in this in midterms. Um, this By the is, way, I think that's a record. Two mentions of herpes on two different topics on the same podcast. Not for us. That, that's, that's true. That's true. true. That's right. That's right on brand. <laughs> that's as it should be. Yeah, that's that's how we're going to be able to monetize this shit. <laughs> um, yeah, by the way, if I could just uh, crow a little bit, we just passed a, a milestone in the number of downloads for this podcast. And uh, now we're getting notes saying you can monetize what you're doing. Going, that's right. Which means talk. we're selling, we're going to sell the shit out. Like, we're going to uh, sell out. You bet your sweet ass we are. <laughs> But <laughs> you know who our first sponsor is going to be, you know, the flamethrower drone guys. <laughs> I would be, and you would be the happiest boys in America. If well, we got you know, that. We, yeah, well, you know, would be like, so uh, do you guys do barter? <laughs> you do a barter arrangement, right? <laughs> I can hear the ad now. <laughs> do you suffer from flaming assholes living next door? <laughs> We can help. Barking dogs. Not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> neighbor's cat. Neighbor's cat hunting songbirds in your yard. That won't happen anymore. Not an issue. Not with flaming. <laughs> flame, Mr. Flamey. <laughs> Mr. Flamey, the flamethrower of choice. <laughs> Nine out of ten people since, prefer flamey throat. Since 2019. <laughs> American made. We're killing Americans. <laughs> end of the american century our ass <laughs> <It's tr> <laughs> <laughs> try to that to mr flamey 
<laughs> so speaking of things that crash and burn, Joe Biden, you were saying. Yeah. <laughs> so President Biden, I, I have to admit, Ted, and this may be my own naivete, I'm just shocked that the number is that low. I mean, things are not that bad. I mean, jobs well, are- First of all, people are going to say that uh, it's just, just they're going to say, well, that's one poll. It just happens to be the best poll. Quinnipiac is 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 arguably the most the most accurate poll of the last ten years. They um, they had Trump's win in 2016 right when everyone else had it wrong. It's a good poll, you know. I mean, and people who say they don't believe in polls are they're just you know basically lying. If polls didn't work, uh, they wouldn't be uh, you know a multi hundreds of millions of dollars business. They do work. They're right most of the time, almost all of the time. Um, so, you know, we, and also we're talking about a metric that compares itself to itself, right? So it's, it's apples against apples. I'm very surprised that we dropped below 35%. You know, we've been talking on this podcast for, uh, since the very beginning, really about how Joe Biden's, uh, appeal is highly limited to say to be charitable and that he was going to, we were going to find the bottom. I thought we were going to find the bottom at about 35, 36%, but apparently we haven't found the bottom yet. Um, well, I think there's a couple of factors. They're, they're very- Yeah, why? Yeah, let's, let's talk about why this is Well, happening. first and foremost, the thing that hits you right between the eyes is inflation at the highest rate it's ever been. Uh, it's a historic Well, in highs. a long time. And it's long a time. historic highs. And- not, uh, not since the, not the highest it's ever been, but- Well, since, post, post- since the, since, the early, since the early 80s. Well, apparently we, we tied it was high, that. a little higher then. Yeah, we've tied that. So, and and it's inexplicable. And I think it, there is some greed involved in this, but there's also some supply demand. Um, well, it's also the bounce back from the from the uh, from the lockdown, right? Right. I mean, of course, yeah, there was people, a lot of pent up demand. So when and corporations are taking advantage of that, and that's how that's how this works. I I sell a pencil. Uh, before the pandemic, I was selling it for two cents. Afterwards, as a shortage of pencils, I can sell it for twenty cents. I mean, the truth is, I mean, seriously, I don't want to sing Joe Biden, the Democrats, uh, you know, praises, but it is a little unfair. I mean, the truth is that the economic picture is hardly bleak. The fact is, like, okay, so the official inflation rate is eight and a half percent. The truth is, the real inflation rate is much higher, but it's, it's probably 10 points higher. But so, okay, so big deal. The actual real inflation rate has gone from, say, 13% to like 18%. Um, but wages are way up. Unemployment is way low. It's, there's never been a better time to ask your boss for a raise or to look for a job. Um, there's, you know, I mean, the truth is that most people might go to the to the gas station and be like, holy shit, it's 475 but the fact is they have more money in their pockets than they did before. I mean, they're not starving. This is not like high inflation coupled with high unemployment. It's not a fucking catastrophe. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it, this is, I mean, people are upset. And I, I guess I don't really think they should be as upset as they are, but they are. Well, I think it comes down, it's not just that, it's also handling of Afghanistan, which was, a, you know, they fucked that up badly. That's that's, um, uh, that's there's no doubt about the that. Ukraine, the response to Ukraine has not been nearly as robust as they had hoped, and it can be robust rhetorically. And here's where I think the real problem is. In what, are they, what are they going to do? They're going to drive? <laughs> is he supposed to drive the Russians out with words? Well, no, yeah, but Russians are loud people. Yeah. But <laughs> but here's the problem as I see it, Ted, and I think I know you agree with me on this. Is that this president is too old? 
he doesn't get out and talk. I mean, it was the same thing that happened and it wasn't an age issue with Jimmy Carter, but rather than go out and say, you know, be the happy warrior, uh, be FDR, go out there, have fireside chats, tell people everything's going to be okay. We're in this together. We're getting, we're getting through it together. Um, they retract. And, and with, with Jimmy Carter, that was just his personality type with Joe Biden. He's just so fucking old and he doesn't, he isn't out there. He's not using the bully pulpit. Uh, now you used a great word. We were talking the other day and you used a perfect word to describe him. He seems frail, more frail than ever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, that's really true. I mean, look, don't take our words for it. Go just YouTube the most recent um, media appearance by the president, uh, and you will see. I mean, he his voice is very weak. Um, he's more confused, and no, that's not fucking stuttering. Um, he is. <laughs> yeah. He is. Um, you know, he's more confused. He's. I mean, it's honestly. I think it's sad. I mean, Joe Biden's a very you know, granted, totally corrupt, but a uh, very likable man. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it's sad to see, honestly. I mean, like, we're all going to get there. Uh, I'm going to get there. You're going to get there. We're all getting there. I don't look forward to being in the same state that he is. And I hope that someone would not allow me to be president of the United States if I were in the same. I think we can guarantee health. that one, Ted. Yeah. I think we can guarantee <laughs> that too. But it's also, how does this affect the Democrats? Well, the Democrats collectively seem to be in the same position in that walk around, ask someone who's not, you know, knee deep in Democratic Party politics and uh, isn't an apparat, you know, and ask them, ask anybody, what do the Democrats stand for? What are they running on in 2022 in the mid first midterm elections of a Democratic presidency? And I don't know that anyone can tell you. They like stuff to be good for people, <laughs> you know, it's like, I can't tell you what the, I can tell you what the Republicans stand for. And you may find it a, a, a abominable. You may hate it, but you can, I can tell you what the Republicans are running on this year. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the problem with Democrats, I mean, there's a lot of problems. I mean, they, I think they were really counting on getting uh build back better through. Um, they can't even blame Republicans for it because it's their own conference that couldn't get it together. They couldn't, they couldn't uh, bring cinema and mansion in line and that's what killed it, right? So literally their own party killed themselves. So now it's like, well, what do you have? I mean, literally they're running on January 6th and fear of Donald Trump. That's what they're running on. Yeah. Um, most Americans have forgot about January 6th on January 7th. Um, they, they, they're over it. Um, yeah, I'm not. I still find it to be, uh, it's, it's going to be viewed through historic lenses. Yeah, but like important. if you, okay, if we were looking at this, okay, but if we looked at the, and I'm going to ask you this in a second, if we were going to look at the Stantis list of priorities as a voter, uh, would, where would that rank? Where would January 6th rank? First? No, right? Not first. Not first, but in the top five. And I'll tell you why, because oh, I live in All right, Alabama. well, top five is not going to determine anything. I mean, so what, are, what is the, what are the, stant, what is the Stantis top, let's say three, four, five? Well, the economy first and foremost. And do I feel that there's, that there's a, that the president and the Congress are good stewards of the economy? And the, the answer to that is clearly no. I mean, in terms of, in, in terms of inflation, that's the story that's going forward. I went to the grocery store yesterday. Holy shit cakes. 
Well, food, I mean, in fairness, food prices have been going up steadily, unnoticed for 10, 15 years. It's a big story. And like uh, food is like, food's expensive. Yeah, but it's gotten, this has been a quantifiable. Oh, yeah, there's no question. Uptick. It shot up even more. Yeah. We, um, my wife and I own a hybrid and we own a, 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 (laughs) our other car is a fit, which is pretty much. I don't know. I think it's put out by the Bic lighter people because it's pretty much the first <laughs> disposable car. Well, it's not, it would be the second after the Yugo, I guess. Um, so we, we're trying very mightily. And even then when we go to the pump, the pain is palpable. But now we live in a country and I live in a part of the country where everyone has a truck the size of a house. Yep. And you're looking over at how much they're paying to fill up the tank. It's 150, 200 bucks. That's, those are issues. Those are, and this president doesn't, which is weird because well, prior to this, years ago, Joe Biden would have been, hey, I'm there with you, pal. You know, I feel for you. We're going to yeah. work on this. Bill Clinton, I feel your pain type. Yeah. I, look, I think, I think there's like, here's what I think is going on. I'm going to say in order what's going on. Okay. I think, I think first of all, tied for first is simply the fact that uh, the party in power pisses everyone off and they lose in midterms. Tied for first. That's 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 one half. That's one half of the tie. The other half of the tie is Biden doesn't seem presidential. He's weak. He doesn't he doesn't exude strength and leadership and resolve. And when Americans like just happen to like glance at the TV and they hear the man talking, they're like, "Holy shit, this guy's." You know, I don't feel good that he's the captain of the ship. I think it's those two things. Then I I think number two is inflation. Number three. Is the lack of an affirmative, uh, an, an affirmative agenda of any kind, even if it's whether something you agree with or not. There's no affirmative agenda. You have to have a, a, a list of things that you're that you're for and that people understand. Fourth, that list of things needs to be uh, something that people like, but we don't have that. Um, and then if it, you go to fifth, uh, he completely disregarded the people who, you know, like Molly Ivins famously said, dance with them that brung you. Well, who brought, who brought, uh, what was the Biden coalition, right? It was anti-Trump Republicans. It was young people who, like young Bernie voters who swallowed their annoyance at Joe Biden and, uh, and were anti-Trump and, and supported him. It's blacks and women. Um, those are the people who voted for him. Uh, you know, what does he bring to the table for young people? Young people wanted student loan forgiveness. There's no movement. There's not even any discussion about that. It's not happening. Young, uh, young uh, uh, Blacks wanted an increase in the minimum wage. There's no movement on that. Um, you know, uh, women wanted some kind of motion on, uh, on, on uh, reproductive rights. There's no motion there. Um, the Bernie people look at all of it and say, okay, well, there's nothing here for us. Um, so, I mean, he, he didn't deliver. I think that's, that, that's the exact right, And he's not delivering. You just, I mean, and just, I mean, on, on our little podcast, you just laid out the, the, a good solid blueprint for democratic success going forward. Here's what you're voting for. You know, yeah. um, you can, and you could throw like Newt Gingrich contract with America. Right. And you know what they, I mean, Democrats, I love talking to my corporate as democratic friends because about this because they sneer at it. And I'm going, wait a minute, but it, it worked. Won. It won. It won big. It forced, it forced uh, Bill Clinton into a sort of co-presidency with Newt Gingrich for uh, over a year. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, that's, that's dramatic. 
Um, yes. And so, and it also tells, here's what the Democratic Party, I mean, God, I'm going to sound like an old fuck here, but so excuse me. But it's, here's when growing up, you knew what the Democrats stood for. They had a platform. Yeah, there were yellow dog Democrats from particularly from the South who, you know, were, were George Wallace states rights jerk offs. But but for the most part, you knew what the Democratic Party was going to lean towards what they were aiming for and what they were going for. Yeah. The Republicans, the same thing, you know, uh, smaller government, less taxes. Um, it was pretty simple. And then you could expand and put real world uh, policy towards that. I can't tell you what the Democrats stand for today. Other well, they stand for they stand not, for things that are not being Republican. They're not Republican. They're not Trump. And the, the, so the responses to things like um, not just don't say gay, how silly that is, because that but that's not really the issue. They can say we and you can say we recognize parental rights and, we, and parental concerns on this issue. However, yeah, that's a really good point, Scott. You know, you're saying that it makes me think like, well, they don't even come out and say we are the party of LGBT rights. Right. They, they don't even say that. Why wouldn't you say I that? mean, it's Im it's implied. And obviously, uh, you know, the Republicans can beat them up for being like too pro LGBTQ, but whatever, you might as well own it. I mean, exactly. they are. Yeah. And and so they should say it and say we're for moving. You know what? We want to move and, and just unequivocal, un unequivocally say we are for increasing the, the minimum wage. We are for universal health care. We are for we are for labor unions. I yes. mean, I mean, I mean that that Amazon vote in Staten Island is historic, and you know I keep thinking about the <clears throat> the people who did that. They did it without the help of big labor. No one cared. No one came from the AFL CIO. They didn't get their calls returned. They did it by themselves. And now suddenly they get invited to DC, and the S and the service uh, workers union uh, wants them to join, and blah blah blah. Well, great, good for you. Joe Biden should have come personally to Staten Island and congratulated them. I'm not sure if the president, because I'm trying to think of what FDR did, did during the, um, the thirties. I'm not sure he showed up, but he sent, he sent his wife a lot and uh -huh. sent high ranking. Well, uh, Kamala Harris, who doesn't appear to be doing anything else could have come. Well, um, and that's, that's the other part. Or the secretary, or seriously, the secretary of labor could have come. Yes, should have been there marching with them and said, you know, yes, we believe in the union movement. We believe in organized labor. I believe in organized labor. I know it sounds you're going to, people may gasp that a conservative Republican thinks that, although I'm not really that Republican anymore, but that's someone who has conservative or libertarian leanings. But that's exactly why I like labor unions, because it's, it's a voluntary, I like right to work laws too, by the way. And I actually joined labor unions when I worked at the Commercial Appeal in Memphis, Tennessee, and Memphis in Tennessee was a right to work state. I joined the union because I, was, I wanted protections for my job. Right. Well, that's that. Yeah. Well, that's just reasonable. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the thing is that like, yeah, no, it's really true. I mean, they should, the D Democrats should have a list of policy priorities that they, I mean, Seriously, there's no progress at all on health care. The pandemic, I mean, what a fucking catastrophe. The Democrats themselves couldn't get it together to renew COVID funding. So the next time you go for a COVID shot, there's a strong chance you're going to have to pay for it um, or, or a COVID test. That money's going to run out. That money's like only a few months left. So wow. when, so that's, and that was not the Republicans who stood in the way. I mean, Democrats are trying to say, well, that's the Republicans fault, or maybe they're blaming Putin, like they blame him for everything else. But the point is that it's not a, uh, you know, it, it's their own fault. And, um, you know, it's like, 
the, the pandemic proved that there's major equity issues. The ACA isn't working. The market is not providing competition in many, many counties. So there's, you know, the, uh, healthcare prices are outrageous. I, am f- I have a silver plan. I'm fully insured. Um, I can't afford to get my, to use my coverage. Like my asthma inhaler is 250 bucks, you know, a pop, you know, every month. Like, fuck that. I order the fuckers from Canada. Um, you know, yeah. northwestpharmacy.com. Go check it out. It's great. They mail them to you. 30 bucks. It's awesome. But I'm like, I'm insured. Why am I fucking getting, why am I having to order, you know, drugs from Canada? No, I'm in the same boat as a freelancer. We, we buy our insurance and it sucks. It and- blows. And the Democrats should be there instead of telling us like, oh, the Republicans want to take the ACA away. I'm like, I won't care if the Republicans take the ACA away. The ACA is a piece of shit. Give me, give me a real healthcare system or just go back to free market. That's fine. I'll just, we'll just all pay out of pocket. We're paying out of pocket anyway. I mean, well, I can, this is one of the, again, old man ranting. I remember <laughs> why, why all of a sudden I'm a New England farmer. I don't know, but apparently <laughs> as you get older, that's what you become. Um, but back in the nineties, two boys, we, we did not, I was freelancing, did not have insurance and, but we had, you could go and buy meds or you could have a doctor's appointment and pay for it out of pocket. And it was reasonably priced. Somehow the insurance companies have totally fucked up the marketplace. Um, so as we have more and more people in the gig economy, uh, this seems to be an, a winning issues for, for the Democrats. I just, but you don't hear them saying that and they haven't pushed it through. I don't understand how, and may, Ted, maybe you can help me understand it better, is under, um, um, under Obama, how they did push through, they had ACA, but how they uh, didn't um, push through just you know, Medicare for everyone. Oh, well, I mean, Obama didn't want it. Um, Obama, you know, people forget Obama was uh, like the, he was sort of like a, a somewhat conservative a Democratic primary candidate in, 20, in 2008. It was John Edwards who was the liberal in the, uh, the progressive in that race. And uh, there was Obama in the middle and then there was Hillary to the right. Um, and he, you know, when, when, he, when he got in, he never even proposed, a, he had promised a public option. And uh, he he did not, um, and he didn't do it. He uh, he he broke his campaign promise. Uh, you can look it up. So, and I think it's because you know big pharma and all these companies got to the Democrats and demanded that it not be in there. Well, I can remember during the negotiation. That's what killed Hillary when and during the Clinton administration when uh, she had her hearings and she didn't invite the insurance companies to participate. Right. That was a well, huge mistake. Well, it was a huge mistake, given the fact that the insurance companies uh, were going to have their influence anyway. But Obama went to the opposite extreme. I mean, look, Obama gets credit. It's the only thing that he really accomplished as president. He gets credit for the fact that for the first time in American history, there was a national health care system established. The problem is it's a shitty system and it was only going to work as a placeholder to build upon and make it better. Um leaving it as is, is only going to make things worse. I mean, we were better off without it. Yeah, um, I, you know. I agree. And so, so with the Biden and the Democrats, like we said, they don't, they don't stand for anything. And I mean, again, like I said, you would be, it's true. Ask, ask her what she, th- what do the Democrats stand for? 
Mm-hmm. And I think your answer is going to be kind of this meandering, not because of her, but because of the Democrats. They can't, they have not established what they are. Joe Biden, even like Ted mentioned earlier, if you look at his pre-recorded uh, messages now, which it seems to be how they're operating out of the White House, um, they're hard to watch mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of his, because his, his, the tin, timber of his voice is so thin now that and he's just getting old and so americans look at this and they go oh shit you know we're we're entering it's always dangerous waters it's always upheaval it's always um one potentially dangerous issue after another that the white house has to handle and we're looking at the white house and we're looking at the oval office and we see a guy who can't handle it and that's why this poll i believe it 33 percent. i mean it's just it's shocking i think that may be low but not by a hell of a lot Mm mm-hmm so I don't know. I right. you know what, and well. so this opens the door for, and there's also polling coming out of, I believe it was the New York Times that within what was it Ted within the last week had a story about looking at the Senate and what's going to happen there, mm-hmm. and holy shit cakes if you're a Democrat you've got to be um, unhappy <laughs> with the prospect. True, true. That any state where Biden won nine percent or less, uh, the, the likelihood of those senators losing is is high. And the senators yeah. are losing. And so you're going to have, and the people who are going to replace them, especially in the Congress, are going to, in the House of Representatives, are going to be, um, you know, Trumpite. I mean, you think we have Looney Tunes now? True. true Just true, wait, true. folks. What's her name? Right. Taylor. What's her name? Oh, shit. Oh, Marjorie that. Taylor Green. Yeah. You think she's going to be the elder statesperson? She's going to be <laughs> revealed as the intellectual of the Congress. Whoa. That's so true. <laughs> So well, with that funny. dismal, <laughs> I think that's like, I'm going to go kill myself now. Um, well, it's the end of the American century. And this is, this seems to be the perfect president for that. So it's the end of this podcast. It's the end of this podcast. Ted, where can I, as an American individual, find your work? You can go to raw.com. You can go to who, what, why.org. You can go to sputniknews.com and you can go to counterpoint, uh, counterpoint.com, which is the uh, uh, email newsletter that has uh, a lot of great editorial cartoons, including by yours, yours and mine. Um, and you can subscribe and uh, you can get them for free uh, two days a week. Yeah. Uh, and you can get them. You can get them. And if you pay a little bit, you get it. Uh, uh, free five days you get it five days a week not free pay a little bit and you get so much more so True. i can be you can find my work at gocomics.com slash scott stantis that's one word or gocomics.com slash prickly city which is my political comic strip um you can go to chicagotribune.com slash opinion and you can see a gallery of the work i do for them or as ted mentioned you can go to counterpoint and revive and support editorial cartooning because you know you want to if you're listening to this podcast you know you want to so do it. It's a few bucks. Come on. Is it going to hurt? That's it. That <laughs> was done with a sentence. All right. Good enough. All right. Until next time, Ted, thank you. Thank you. And we'll see you in the funny papers. Bye. Bye.